This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. We here and we are live and in living color. Dan Grosser with you. It's the Dan Grosser Show right here on 98.7 ESPN. 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number if you want to be a part of the program. Harvey Cruz and Jacob Perry, they're my pals. They're producing the program tonight. We're taking it right up until 10 o'clock, our first show of the week. Kind of feels weird, like there was a holiday or a vacation or something. No, we just had Jets football last night, so no show. Hope you tuned in. Heard Greg Buttle, Bob Marty, myself. Scintillating preseason action. Thank goodness we only have... One more that we have to sit through, but we're going to do that collectively coming up Sunday afternoon, the annual Jet Giants Showdown. We're doing two hours pre, two hours post for that one, so we get underway at 11 a.m., our coverage here on 98.7, treating it like a regular season game. Jets are going to do it like a dress rehearsal. We're going to do it like a dress rehearsal, and hopefully we have some uh, better things to draw from that one, certainly as opposed to what you saw last night. It was just a penalty fest more than anything else, uh, a national TV affair at that, too, between the Jets, and the Atlanta Falcons. But as I said, sunny side up, glass half full. We only got one more of these to go before we can concentrate on meaningful football. September the 11th, the first Sunday of the season. And I guess if you want to even get it closer, Thursday, September the 8th, Bills-Rams. That is when we kick off this thing for real in the 2022 campaign. But it's good to be back. Good to kick off a week of shows as we kind of count the days of what's left here in the summer. And, of course, baseball is still a big topic of conversation, which is what we got to jump off with here because we got game two of the Subway Series just about to get underway in the Bronx. I don't know. You call it game two or you call it game four? I mean, it's the last time these teams are going to play each other unless they're going to square off in October, which, look, I mean, it's possible, right? I mean, anything can happen. Certainly the way these teams have been playing lately, more so the Bronx side of things, maybe doesn't inspire all that much confidence, that there is going to be a run into October slash November, but you never know, right? You got to see how these things play itself out. But a big game tonight, nonetheless, Taiwan Walker, Frankie Montas. And before we look ahead, though, real quick on last night, and I know that it's history, but I thought that was a game the Yankees needed to have. I thought it was way bigger for them when you lined it all up before you even threw the first pitch. And the reason I felt that was because, all right, the Yankees avoided the sweep on Sunday against the Jays, right? They had themselves a nice win. I felt that they needed to let that game prosper a little bit. You know, build some continuity, build some momentum after that win on Sunday. And they were able to do that last night because, you know, if the Yankees had lost last night, you would have looked at that game on Sunday and said, well, you might as well have just gotten swept. You know, you don't feel any different about this team. They're still in the doldrums. You still really don't have much faith in what the heck they're doing out there. But at least last night, I thought that that was a good, solid, hard-fought victory. I really do. I was impressed by what the Yankees did. You know, they only hit one out of the ballpark last night, and that was Aaron Judge. But they got to Max Scherzer. They kept chipping away. They made him work. And that's what you like to see. Remember, they didn't just beat any old run-of-the-mill pitcher last night. You beat a Hall of Famer. You beat a Hall of Famer who's still having a pretty good season. And, you know, apart from even the team, I'll tell you something else that I was impressed with last night. How about another strong game from Andrew Benintendi, right? Finally got that home run on Sunday afternoon, carried it over into yesterday. And you're like, hey, maybe this is the guy that the Yankees thought they were getting when they made the move for the Kansas City Royals. Guy was hitting well over 300 with Kansas City, and he's been anything but that really since putting on pinstripes. 
So that's something possibly that you can look to for a little bit of confidence as we move forward here. And you know what? Maybe the biggest shocker of all from what you got from the Yankee side last night is how about Domingo Herman? That was the biggest shocker of the night, and I don't think it's anywhere close. He was fantastic. You know, did we think we would be talking about saying Domingo Herman would be a guy that would outduel Max Scherzer in that game last night? I know I didn't. That wasn't, you know, a headline that I thought I would be having to discuss when that one went final, but nevertheless, here we are, right? That's why they play the games. That's what this whole thing is about. It got a little bit hairy there in the middle innings, and I'm sitting there last night at the at the Jet game in the press box, and I got the baseball game on the iPad, multitasking, wave of the future. And as soon as that error happened, where Cabrera and Marwin kind of bumped into each other, didn't really communicate as well with one another as you would expect, you know, given the fact that this is Major League Baseball. And we still see this happen way too frequently, where you got two fielders converging on the same pop-up and one just refuses to give way. But as soon as that error happened, and then it was followed by the Vogelbach home run, and you had a 3-2 game at that point, how many of you, at least if you were a Yankee fan, were thinking, here we go again, now the other shoe is going to drop. Now we got no shot. Now the momentum is going to shift completely over to the Mets side. And if you're a Mets fan, the way that the season has been going for you, especially what you just did the day before, which was one of the great wins you're ever going to see in Philadelphia. I mean, that team was left for dead, you know, two, three different times over the course of what seemed like a never-ending affair. I mean, you know, I'm surprised it was only 4 nothing in that first inning. I thought it was going to be like 6 or 7 as the Phils were beating up poor uh, Jose Buto in his Major League debut, and that was the last you saw of him in the Major Leagues after that game, at least for quite some time. But you thought at that point the game was going to turn, but no. The Yanks were able again to scratch across another run and credit the bullpen that Aaron Boone called upon that game last night. Right? We don't know who he's going to have faith in from one night to the next to get the final outs of the game. But whether it was Ron Marinaccio, Jonathan Lewisica, they gave you what? Two and two-thirds, eight outs of hitless baseball. So the combination that Boone had faith in last night, you know what? It paid dividends for you. And you were able to get the victory. So now let's fast forward to tonight, right? Actually, you know what? Before we go to tonight, let me throw something out there first. So I've been thinking about that. You know, you got you to gotta explore all possibilities. You got to explore all avenues, right, when you're thinking about these type of games. They beat Scherzer last night. And me personally, I'm not going to sit here and push the panic button just yet. But you might feel differently. I know how fans are. Is there any concern as a Met fan that you have in Max Scherzer after that game last night? Because it's not just last night's game. We know what his age. We know that everything he's accomplished in his career. We know that everything that he has accomplished in a, a, a career that is ultimately going to end up in Cooperstown in the Baseball Hall of Fame. And we remember what happened to him last year. When he got traded to the Los Angeles Dodgers. And when he got traded to the Dodgers, he was virtually unhittable the first couple of months. And then when he got to the latter portion of the season, into September and then into October, he wasn't as formidable. And he started to struggle a little bit. So now this is back-to-back starts for the first time all season for Max Scherzer that he's allowed at least four earned runs. 
Is there any concern that Max Scherzer might be wearing down here? You know? And that we're at the tail end of August, and maybe he's thrown way too many pitches this year to where maybe he's starting to feel it a little bit. Like I said, I'm not that concerned. I don't think that it's a situation where, oh, my gosh, you worry about Max Scherzer, but I guess only time is going to tell here over the next little while. It does indeed bear watching. Now, as far as tonight is concerned, I said it a little bit earlier when I was on with Don and Peter at the end of the K-Show. I, I think this game is more important for the Mets. I really and truly do. I thought last night was bigger for the Yankees. Tonight, bigger for the Mets. And why do I say that? Well, because the Mets didn't win last night, and the Braves did. Braves are playing the Pittsburgh Pirates here for a few days. Pirates aren't any good. You might have noticed. Braves are expected to win those games. And this isn't just like a flash in the pan. This isn't just like a hot streak or anything like that regarding the Atlanta Braves. It's not. They've been the best team in baseball since June 1st, and it's not even close. So we're talking about almost three full months of a sample size where this team has been by far and away the best that the sport has to offer. So why would you think that down the stretch there's going to be any sort of a difference in how they go about their business? I don't think you can. And the Mets only play the Braves three more times this year. Right at the beginning of October, at the tail end of the season. And as I've said many times, you're the Mets. Make sure you've got that division squared away before you get to that series. Because it's in Atlanta, and you don't want to have to play those three games fighting for your possible division championship lives. You don't want to go there. So tonight you give the ball to Taiwan Walker. Frankie Montas going for the Yankees. We'll see how long Walker can last in this game. Remember, he left the last one with the back spasms. They didn't think it required a stint on the IL. Gave him a few extra days rest. He's back out there today. Let's see him get through a big game. Let's see him go out there and give this team five, six innings. Because you know what? It'll be a welcome, welcome relief. Just for the peace of mind's sake that he's okay. Because right now, you look at the starting rotation, and you think about the you know couple of names that the Mets featured this weekend in Philadelphia, you don't want to have to keep going the Jose Buto route. You don't want to have to keep going the David Peterson route if you don't have to. You know the Carrasco is going to be down for a few weeks, but you know what? Walker is a guy you want in there. You want him to be one of the pillars of this rotation. And Montas is going to be a guy that bears watching tonight too because I don't think I'm breaking any secrets here, but guess what? Frankie Montas hasn't been any good as a Yankee. He, been, he made three starts and he struggled. He struggled in a big way, and his worst one was probably the last one at Yankee Stadium. He could certainly afford to have a bounce-back performance tonight. And remember something about Montas, and, you know, we could sit here and make all the excuses and pinpoint all of the different reasons as to maybe why he hasn't looked sharp and why he struggled coming out of the gates and all of those things. But let's not also forget the fact with Montas that back when he was still a member of the Oakland A's earlier this year in July, he missed a couple of weeks with a little bit of a shoulder issue. And I remember saying then, because Montas was one of the names that you knew would be bantied about at the trade deadline in what was not a very strong starting pitching market. But with Montas being one of the more coveted arms, I remember saying at the time, like, geez, imagine if there's something legitimately wrong with this guy because that's just going to bite the Oakland A's. A team that you know always have, has one eye towards the future. You know that they wanted to get rid of him and he wasn't going to stick around. And if he was hurt, he was essentially untradeable. 
So you hope that everything is okay with the arm. And there's not some things that are in there that maybe he's just pitching through, but still preventing him from being his absolute best. And oh, by the way, I think the other thing that makes matters worse right now when you're talking about Frankie Montas is that the guy that the Yankees surrendered in order to allow Montas to step into the rotation, some guy named Montgomery for the St. Louis Cardinals, who they sent over there, just a one-hit shutout last night in his latest start. And for those keeping score at home, 4-0 with a 0.35 ERA, one earned run allowed for Jordan Montgomery since putting on that Cardinal uniform at the trade deadline. Brian Cashman could sit here until the cows come home and say that, you know, we kind of knew we would be in this position when we made that trade. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. You didn't know that Jordan Montgomery was going to pitch like, you know, a combination of Cy Young and Bob Gibson when traded over to St. Louis. Because if you knew that, you would have held on to him. Nobody's given up that type of an arm. And you know what? Yes, I'm expecting Montgomery's feet to touch the ground at some point, that reality to set in a little bit. But my gosh. Not only are the Cardinals benefiting, but it is making the New York Yankees look bad the longer he pitches this way, considering the dude the Yankees got back for him is in a walking boot and has given them absolutely nothing yet. And who knows what you're going to get from Harrison Bader, even in the month of September. 800-919-3776. Agree, disagree, bigger game tonight for the Mets means more for them. I mean, if you get a repeat of last night, Mets are going to wake up tomorrow morning with only a two-game lead in the division. You going to feel good about that? Because it's not necessarily even an indictment on how the Mets are playing, but it's more of, boy, the Braves are really, really good. I mean, you can make a convincing argument. Hell, I'll make it right now. The best three teams in baseball, one, two, three, are all in the National League. Dodgers, Mets, Braves. No Yankees, no Astros, no whoever else you want to throw in there from the American League. Might be the three best teams in the sport, all on the National League side of things. 800-919-3776, that is the telephone number. We got a lot to get to tonight. You see, you miss one show, you take one night off, there's so many things to catch up on. Of course, we'll keep one eye on the Subway Series all night long, and we'll keep you up to date as things move forward. Also, we got to get into the football, because thankfully, mercifully, We only have one more preseason game left, Jets and Giants on Sunday afternoon. But some takeaways from last night's Jets game we'll get to. Roster cutdowns. Jets have decided on who their kicker is going to be for the upcoming season. Giants dodging a major bullet when it comes to the injury for Kayvon Thibodeau. And we'll also give you some thoughts on that play, which certainly have been making the rounds over the last couple of days. A lot of other odds and ends we're going to have to get to as well including a kumbaya moment for the Nets and Kevin Durant. Everybody is peachy keen, all happy to be on the same team again, as we told you that they would be while this whole ordeal was happening. 800-919-3776. That's our telephone number. Dan Gross' show. We are back. We are live till 10 o'clock right here on 98.7 ESPN. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. So we're just underway here. Final meeting of the season. 
for the Yanks and the Mets. Montas and Taiwan Walker, the pitching matchup. Mets get a little bit more clarity, though, on the status of when Jacob deGrom is going to tow the rubber again. And we know now that is going to be on Thursday against the Colorado Rockies. Mets are going to open a four-game series against the Rocks out there at City Field. Um, look, I understand they want to give DeGrom as much rest as possible, given all the time that he's missed, and it's really hard to disagree. You know, in a lot of ways, they're doing the Yankees a favor because I'm sure that they would rather not be facing Jacob DeGrom instead of Taiwan Walker. No knock on Taiwan Walker, but, you know, he doesn't have two Cy Young Awards and is considered arguably one of the best pitchers of his generation. So you have the off day built in tomorrow. Mets want to give him essentially a full week in between starts, and that's what you're going to get with DeGrom when he goes out there and faces Colorado coming up on Thursday. A little bit more, though, what went into the decision. Let's hear from Jesse Rogers of ESPN. I do think it's something that they're going to monitor as much as possible um, in terms of giving him that extra day if they can, as long as you're not pitching someone else on short rest, what DeGrom last pitched on the 18th. So he's getting that time, right, as he comes back from from, uh, the injury. I mean, his pitch count went from 76 76 up to 95 that's a bit of a jump so they're just going to make sure I guess if if uh, they keep giving him extra days you might wonder where, where is he exactly if they skip a start you might wonder but I think initially here as they go through this thing an extra day here or there isn't that out of the ordinary when you're starting your season August 2nd right so I think let's play it out. Let's see what September looks like for DeGrom. Let's see what his next start looks like. Is there any loss of velocity? But in terms of, like, avoiding the Yankees or anything, I don't think it had anything to do with that. I think it has to do with just giving him that extra day. That's Jesse Rogers. I would agree. It's not so much necessarily avoid. I mean, think about it. When they made this decision, I mean, look at how the Yankees have been swinging the bats. Think about the slump that this Yankee team has been on. You really think that Buck Showalter, the Mets, or even Jacob DeGrom or anybody are sitting there worried about the Yankees and the way that they've been playing as if Jacob DeGrom can't handle Think about how many mediocre pitchers over the last few weeks have had their way with this Yankee lineup who don't even come close to matching the brilliance of Jacob DeGrom on the mound. I think that it's more, hey, let's be extra careful. Let's be extra cautious. I will say this, though. Does it at least raise your suspicions a little bit from a Met perspective as to why they're going ahead and doing this apart from maybe just the rest and just making sure that, you know, he gets that full week in between starts. I still, yeah, I'm a little hazy on it. And I know that he's been through a lot over the last couple of years. And I know that the big picture is more about him being healthy at the end of the season and you want him to hopefully be a part of this rotation pitching deep into October and that's more valuable and important to this club than let's say a start in August in the Subway Series. But we've been down this road before with DeGrom, right? Where in the past, they gave him an extra day. You know, they reconfigured the rotation so, you know, he would push back a day or so, give him more rest, and they say, oh, there's nothing wrong, there's nothing wrong. And then lo and behold, we find out, well, there was something wrong. And I'm not saying that's the case again. It's just I think that if you're a Met fan, you have that fear instinctively because you know how important he is to this team and that, God forbid, he's not out there every five days. And if he's not a valuable member of this rotation and a guy that you can count on for the rest of the season, I think that the Mets championship hopes take a huge hit because of that. 
I don't think that we're making up any stories here that the Mets need Jacob DeGrom if they want to win a World Series. They're not going to be able to get to the top of the mountain without him because he's that good and he's that valuable. Now, this could also be a way for the Mets and Buck Showalter to just break up DeGrom and Max Scherzer in the rotation because before they were pitching back-to-back. Then maybe he wants to kind of spread the wealth a little bit and say, okay, you got Max one day, slide Taiwan Walker the next day, and then you come back with a Jacob DeGrom. So you know that you know whatever team you are, for example, that you still have to contend with both of these guys, but we're going to spread it out a little bit. Not on consecutive games. Yeah, I'm just sitting here. I'm, I'm just spitballing ideas as to what possibly went into this. But, yeah, you're darn right. Come Thursday night, I'm going to be watching closely, and I think that every Met fan is too because, look, his starts are all must-watch. We know that. But want to see if he gets out of it healthy and in one piece because otherwise that spells trouble for the rest of the season. Now, you know that the Yankees have plenty of guys, too, who are on the shelf, and some are a little bit closer to a return than others, i.e. Giancarlo Stanton. He um, had a rehab appearance over the weekend, playing a couple of games for Somerset in A. Earlier today, he was out there hitting in a sin game against Luis Severino at Yankee Stadium. And, you know, the encouraging thing, too, is that Severino looks like he's going to be ready to go once middle September rolls around and he's going to be eligible to come off of that 60-day IL. So you feel good with him. But as far as Stanton is concerned, it looks like all signs point to him being activated on Thursday as well. Here's the skipper, Aaron Boone. He's standing in on a couple more bullpens now. He's going to go through, I think, do outfield work and stuff during BP. And assuming that goes right, we'll plan on him being activated for Thursday's game go so think about it you got Stanton on Thursday coming back you got DeGrom on the mound on Thursday for the Mets big day for the area locals now with Stanton the Yankees could afford to be a little bit more careful and not exactly have a sense of urgency because they are still in good shape in the grand scheme of things I know that they haven't been playing well I know that over the last couple of months they've been playing losing baseball look we've talked about it consistently but they still do have an eight-game lead in the division. They're still head and shoulders better than everybody else in the American League East. And if you're the Yankees, you want to be as close to 100%, as close to healthy as possible come October. Not late August, not in the month of September. You should still have plenty to be able to finish off Tampa Bay, Toronto, whoever else might pose as a challenge in the American League East. I still believe that eight games is pretty safe when you're talking about the Bombers and where they stand in their division. And Stanton, look, Stanton's rejoining a lineup that starts swinging the bats a little bit better like they have the last couple of games. That only makes the team stronger and to make you happy if you're a fan. 800-919-3776, that is the telephone number. Mets get a couple of guys on at the top of the first, but Montas pitches out of it. He gets Vogel back swinging, fastball right down the middle. So Mets and Yanks scoreless as they go bottom one. Now it's Taiwan Walker's turn. We'll see how that backfares against that Yankee lineup. When we come back, though, got to get into a little NBA because we got some news earlier today from the Brooklyn Nets that Depending on what side of the fence that you stood on, it wasn't really all that surprising, now was it? It's Dan Grasso with you. The Dan Grasso Show. We're going until 10 right here on 98.7 ESPN. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight.
But there were a few people that hit me up today inquiring about the app and the show and the podcast and whatnot. Yes, the answer to all those questions, yes, it is being worked on. The information that I received is that the show will be up on the podcast soon, or up on the uh, the app, I should say. So you'll be able to download the podcast, because I understand. Like, we want everybody to hang out and listen and be locked in from 7 to 10 each and every night. But, you know, life happens, and it makes it tricky, and it makes it impossible for those type of things. So you can go back and catch the show at your leisure, and that's what the app is for. That's what the podcasts are for. And, yes, it is being worked on. So hopefully sooner rather than later you'll be able to have the Grasa Show at your disposal whenever the time best suits you. Uh, Yanks and Mets scoreless at the end of one. Nice little one, two, three first for Taiwan Walker. Just six pitches. What you'd like to see from him coming back with the achy little back. Let's go to the phones and start things off tonight with our pal Jose in Newark. He is our leadoff hitter on the Dan Grasso Show. Jose, how we doing? I'm good, brother. How you doing today? Always Jose, outstanding. Talk to me. What's on your mind tonight? Good. So I just wanted to change the uh, the subject. I think you were going to jump on the nets, and I just wanted to give my little two cents. Um, from what I saw in the playoffs, what was hurting them was one they couldn't stop anybody. That was defensively, they were terrible, and Nash got out coached thoroughly. So even though they're getting KD back, and hopefully Kyrie will come back and want to play, they still have to address those two things. Um, you do want your superstars. It is a big chunk of the battle, and I think um, Joe Harris and Seth Curry are also going to be really important to that team and their success. But at the end of the day, you're going to need a coach that could jump in there and can make in-game adjustments in a series and do and you know be able to manage the talent that he has. If they don't have that, they're not going to win. I think from what I heard this morning, uh, the odds, their odds of, of winning a championship improved a bit. I just don't see it if they don't address those two glaring problems. you got to address your defense. They couldn't stop anybody in the paint, and Nash is going to have to figure out exactly how he's going to manage a series. Because at this point in time, I don't think he can. So I don't know if you agree with those things. That's what I kind of saw. Um, again, they're going to do well, but if they want to beat the Milwaukee's, the Miami's, and the Boston teams that have real good defenses, they're going to have to figure all of that out. They're well, still the about, fourth best team. Well, me. Jose, think about this for a second, too, right? Ultimately, what was the thing that got them eliminated this year by Boston? It was because Boston was far superior defensively. So you can sit here and talk about what the Nets couldn't do defensively. Boston was that much better. Right, and that's really what fueled, in my opinion, Boston's run all the way to the NBA Finals and made them a superior team. So, yeah, I don't think you're wrong. But that being said, I still think there's other areas on this team that need a little bit of fine-tuning if they are going to fulfill all this lofty talent and expectations. Absolutely, and it, it, it kind of is unfortunate that they took all that time trying to figure out what to do with these two superstars, and they couldn't get out there and really fortify and get accessorial pieces, they wasted a ton of energy figuring out if, you know, they got to trade this guy or if this guy's going to come back and play. Is he going to play under a year? Do I got to give him max money to keep the other guy happy? Man, that, that was just a detriment to them in the offseason where a lot of teams made a lot of major moves. They probably lost a lot of time to build a better team. But, um, you know, it all starts at the end of the day, man. You give me Kai, Kai, uh, Ka- Kawhi, uh, I'm sorry, Kyrie Irving and, and KD. That's a good start. It's just they have a lot of work to do before they're really legitimately a contender in my book. 
I, I think any any coach would want that. And, and Jose, good phone call. Appreciate it as always. He, he, but it also comes with risk. Like if you're Steve Nash, look at it from his standpoint. I think we were all surprised when he got the job because he hadn't really done anything to earn it. Like what what you do as a player should not have any impact on you trans, transitioning into a career as a head coach just because you know basketball and you were good at basketball. Right? Some of the best players in the world were horrible coaches and vice versa. Some of the worst players in the world were great coaches. You never know. One does not necessarily dictate the outcome of the other. And Steve Nash in a couple of years behind the bench, I mean, let's face it, has he set the world on fire? Has he shown you anything in two years to where you would warrant making a case for him carrying on even as the coach of this team? And it's not like Steve Nash has had nothing to work with. I mean, let's call it like it is. There are coaches with less than the Nets have and with less than Steve Nash has who have done a better job over the last couple of years. Look at Memphis. And look at the job that Taylor Jenkins has done. I know he's got John Morant. Okay, Nets have Kevin Durant. Nets have Kyrie Irving. Nets had James Harden. Now they have Ben Simmons, even though he hasn't played a game for him yet. But don't you think the Memphis Grizzlies have been much more of a steady basketball operation over the last couple of seasons than the Brooklyn Nets have? Yeah, coaching matters. It does. And I disagree with a lot of the things that Kevin Durant has said over the last couple of years, or especially the last few months in handling this situation. One of the things I agree with him a thousand percent, even though I don't necessarily like the approach. If he's sitting here all of a sudden saying that he doesn't believe in Steve Nash as the head coach, I mean, like, duh. Like, where you been? I could have told you that the day he was hired. What was it, in August of 2020? I could have told you he wasn't going to be the right fit and the right coach for this team. And it's proven out to be that way over the last two seasons. But today you get a statement from the Nets and the organization essentially saying that KD's not going anywhere. That the two sides are going to continue their partnership. I think moving forward was the, the, the correct terminology, what they used. So imagine this for a second. Let me, let me bring you all back to real life. Imagine signing a contract extension for $198 million in whatever walk of life that you choose. And your employer has to then tell the world that you and that employer are, quote, moving forward. Well, I should hope so. You gave him all that money. He signed and agreed to accept all that money. And then not long after, you have to let the world know that you're moving forward together. I would think that that would be the course of action. I I mean, call me naive. I would think that that would be the likely outcome, right? And also, you know, considering that you gave all that cash, and he still hasn't even played a game yet, meaning off of the extension. This four-year extension hasn't even kicked in yet. All right, so how do we get here? How do we get to this point? In June, he asked for a trade. Things aren't going his way. He wants to take the easy way out, wants to go join another organization, albeit one that's already tailor-made to win a championship, whether it was Miami, whether it was Phoenix, Right? where he could be like the final piece to the puzzle. 
Ironically enough, both teams that had the best record in the respective conferences, right? That's who we wanted to go join. Not, not Sacramento, not Indiana, not a team that's down on their luck. No, let me go to a ready-made win team. And then in London, he doubled down, apparently, not long after that. Joe Sy, the owner, he flew out there. They sat there over a cup of tea. And KD said again, you know what? It's me or it's Nash and Marks. The brain trust or yours truly. One of us has to go. But now today, apparently, everything has been smoothed over. Because everybody flew out to Los Angeles. They sat on the beach. They had a few margaritas. They talked things out. And now KD's coming back. When you read that statement this morning from the Brooklyn Nets, or when you were made aware of it, I should say, like, what was your initial reaction? I'm curious. Because you know what mine was? Like, as soon as I read this, and by the way, for those of you that didn't get a chance to hear it or see it, it says, this is from Sean Mark. Steve Nash and I, together with Joe Sy and Clara Wu Sy, Met with Kevin Durant and Rich Kleiman in Los Angeles yesterday. We have agreed to move forward with our partnership. We are focusing on basketball with one collective goal in mind, build a lasting franchise to bring a championship to Brooklyn. Yeah, good luck with that. But when I saw that, my first thought was, yeah, I'm sure that this is going to end really well, right? Because does anybody think for a second that we won't be in this same exact position a year from now, and we won't be talking about the same damn thing a year from now with Kevin Durant being unhappy, Kevin Durant wanting to get traded, blah, 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 blah. He tells him that, yo, you fire this guy or get me out of here. But he's going to also be putting out feelers. I can guarantee you, because the only way that the Nets move past this, and the only way I guess that if you're Kevin Durant, you're even remotely satisfied by this whole thing, is what, if the Nets win a championship this year? You think they're winning a championship? I don't. I don't. Because you know what's funny? Like, we've been so consumed with the Kevin Durant drama, and right now that the Nets want the entire world to believe that all is right. They met in L.A., everybody's good, everybody's on the same page, nothing could be better. But... But, and here's the big but, you always know there is one, right? The two biggest problems that the Nets have under their roof that can derail a season are Kyrie Irving and Ben Simmons, right? Like, they're still there. That's why I kind of chuckled today because the Nets make it seem like, all right, the one albatross that we had hovering over our franchise, which threatened to sink and ruin it all, was the Kevin Durant discontent. Wrong. Eh. Those problems are still Kyrie Irving and Ben Simmons. Why Ben Simmons? Why are we lumping Ben in? Well, for one, he hadn't played a damn game yet in two years. You acquired this guy, and you don't even know if he's all in. You know, you hear these reports about during the playoffs and whatnot, he was in a text chain, and all of a sudden he wanted out of the text chain. Even though he wasn't playing, he couldn't even communicate with his guys. Didn't even want to stay engaged with what the rest of the team was doing. And Kyrie is like the ultimate Mr. Wishy-Washy. Wakes up each morning, and you don't know what he's going to feel, what he's going to want, what his motivations are. And I've said this time and time and time and time and time again about Kyrie Irving. The biggest problem with him 
is that basketball is not his number one priority. It's not. And for all the money the Nets have invested in him and all the hopes that they have invested in him and KD and Ben Simmons and this partnership, you can't have one of the two or the three not be all in. And you got to be a fool to actually believe that Kyrie is all in here. Because correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't he the guy even before Kevin Durant expressed an interest to be traded? Wasn't it Kyrie himself who explored leaving Brooklyn? Wasn't it Kyrie who darted out to L.A. first and was knocking on LeBron's door and calling him up and saying, buddy, remember me? Cleveland, class of 2016, how's things? Want to play together again? But the Lakers couldn't pay him what he was making with the Nets this year. That's why he opted back in. Not because all of a sudden he's Mr. Brooklyn and he loves it here and he thought back to that kid who grew up a Nets fan. Nonsense. It's all about money. And I'll repeat this because I've said it a lot for those that are new to the program. Don't think for a second that once the season rolls around, because remember, Kyrie's a free agent, that when the season rolls around and Kyrie's people go knocking on Sean Marks's door and Joe Sy's door and starts inquiring about a good old contract extension, and when the Nets are not ready and willing to engage at that point, you think Kyrie is going to be Mr. Model Employee at that point the rest of the year? You think they're going to hang up an 8 by 10 of Kyrie in the cafeteria, Employee of the Month? Because he's going to be on his best behavior when he finds out that the Nets are not ready and willing to commit to him long term. Like, why the hell should they? Given how mercurial he is and you don't know what he's thinking. So, yeah. The Nets can have this day all they want. That we're all committed to winning a championship. But guess what? That house might be standing today. But you know and I know that in a few short months you could already start to be smelling smoke from the Barclays Center. And as a matter of fact, ah, if you're a betting man, I would strongly encourage you to think that this thing won't end up like everybody in the organization thinks it will. Unless you're foolish. 800-919-3776, that is the telephone number. Your thoughts on all of a sudden the warm and cuddly feelings that are now coming out of Brooklyn. You buying it? I'm not. Dan Gross' show, 98.7 ESPN. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. 800-919-3776 is our number. Remember, at Dan Gross is where you can get me on Twitter. No score in the third inning. Mets and Yanks in the Subway Series. Mets have had some chances so far in this game, but they've already left three men on. They're 0 for 4 with runners in scoring position. Yankees have gone uh, very quietly so far. Six up, six down against Taiwan Walker for the first two winnings. So uh, we'll keep you up to date if anything noteworthy should happen. Jose, when he called earlier, uh, our pal Jose in Newark, talking about the title odds for the Nets. They did improve after this news came out today. They were at 18 and 1 or 18 to 1. Now they're 9-1, to one, but there's still a handful of teams ahead of them. You got Boston, who's at plus 450. Then you got Golden State, plus 650. Phoenix, the Clippers, Milwaukee are all plus 800. Then it's the Nets, and then it's the Lakers. So, I, I mean, you could get giddy, you could get excited, all those things, but, I mean, the Nets are far, far 
like really far from what you would term a lock to even pay off all this talent that they have on the team. Because I think that even the boys in Vegas know that there is way too many things that could stand in the way of them even having a successful season, and there's probably going to be more drama than not when you're talking about this club. And how about this? And I don't want to look. I don't want to throw anybody out on the street. That's not what this is about. You don't wish it on anybody. But a show of hands here, boys and girls. How many people actually believe that Steve Nash and or Sean Marks, one of the two, will even make it through the entire season with the Brooklyn Nets? I mean, do we really think that this is going to be a smooth ride all throughout the year? I don't. I don't. And if you're the Nets, as much as you don't want to do it, getting rid of a coach is the easy alternative, especially a guy who really hasn't done anything other than clap his hands for the last two years. And Durant looks no better because of this. Don't think for a second that now all of a sudden, like, you know, Durant merits sympathy or he looks like, you know, a good team guy because he's agreed to honor his $198 million obligation to the Brooklyn Nets. Like, oh, boy, that KD, he is such a loyal guy, huh? They had to twist his arm so he would show up for work after giving him $198 million. Nobody's feeling sorry for him. You know, and look, it's no secret what happened here. The Nets tried exploring trades, and Brooklyn didn't get a fair return, and they told them, guess what? You're either going to play for us or you're not going to play at all. And even KD shot down all those you know, retirement rumors. Wasn't going to hold out. That's not the way he is. I give him credit for that. That's why I said all along, the Nets don't give away a guy who is the best player to ever don their uniform in the history of the franchise. Not accomplishments, but he's the most talented player that's ever put on a Nets uniform. You don't give guys like that away. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. <laughs>